Yes! That is a little bit of the darkness coming at you. Black Shuck by the inimitable Justin Hawkins and his band The Darkness uh, from their, uh, what is that, Carrie? 2004 album, Permission to Land? Something like that, yeah. Uh, thank you to Dave, our uh, Patreon supporter, for uh, pointing out that song on, on Patreon. Dave is also the host or co-host of the uh, inimitable Lords of Grantham podcast. So um, why don't you go ahead and give Dave a listen and, and also give the darkness a listen. Um, you know, Justin Hawkins deserves it. Absolutely. Now, Dave posted that song in, uh, or at least the recommendation to go listen to that song, in relation to another patron's suggestion of a topic, and that was Sue T. So um, this, you know, well, that uh, fun taste of pop rock at the start of the podcast is brought to you by uh, Dave and the Lords of Grantham. Uh, This podcast is being brought to you by Sue T over on our Patreon, and Sue asked us to look into the legend of Black Shuck. And she posted a painting of a big, black, wolfy-looking dog mm-hmm. in, in kind of a misty landscape with the following caption. Black Shuck is the name of a ghost dog that roams Norfolk, Suffolk, and other parts of England. It is a large, black canine with flaming red or green eyes, or sometimes just one eye in the middle of its head. If those eyes, or I, catch your gaze directly, you are doomed to death within a year. There are various origin stories for the dog, which was first reported seen in 1577. And so that's our topic today, Carrie. It's uh, Black Shuck and spectral black dogs like him, uh, which have appeared in folklore from all over England. I love a ghost puppy. I know. Well, you remember the Greyfriars Bobby was one I of I never our... will forget the Greyfriars Bobby. One of our favorite stories on this podcast. I think that's the most adorable... Well, the most adorable thing we've ever covered, but uh, certainly the most adorable thing in our Haunted Cemeteries episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but today, we're not talking about Scottish dogs, not mostly. Today, we're talking about English dogs. Okay. I, I don't discriminate. I'll pet them all. And by the way, you're listening to Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts and Evergreen Podcasts Network. And this is the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. I'm the titular Sean. I'm always the very titular Carrie. God, it wasn't going to feel right till I said that. <laughs> now, Carrie, uh, free associate with me for a minute here. Does this make you think of anything? Spectral black dogs uh, as an omen of death. Sure. I mean, I've, I've heard of that in folklore before, but I think the most, maybe one of the most famous uh, versions of that in fiction is... The Grimm in Harry Potter, um, exactly which right. uh, is also related to Sirius Black, one of the characters. Yeah, and crazy old Madame Trelawney says the Grimm is the surest portent of death, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it turns out, this is something I wasn't really aware of till I started looking into this um, episode. We'll talk about Grimm's later, by the way. Um, but big spectral black dogs are a... I don't know, a recurring motif in English folklore, a, a sort of a favorite theme to keep going back to. And uh, it turns out its origins probably stretch back to the earliest origins of just people in England and English culture, British culture, I should say. Really? Yeah. Um, you might also, thinking of spectral dogs, uh, another very famous example might be the Hound of the Baskervilles. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll get to the Hound, that Hound, later. <laughs> Uh, Well, reports of spectral black dogs do stretch back to 1577, uh, as that uh, post from Sue said, or even earlier. 
Uh, the name Black Shuck, uh, I guess, took a couple hundred years to finally stick. That first appears in writing uh, in an issue of the journal Notes and Queries from 1850, where the Reverend E.S. Taylor wrote, This phantom I have heard many persons in East Norfolk and even Cambridgeshire describe as having seen as, as a black shaggy dog with fiery eyes and of immense size and who visits churchyards at midnight. Is this shuck like chuck with an S? Yeah, shuck like, like you shuck corn? an oyster or a corn. Yeah. I'd, okay. I'm not sure what the origin of that name is. Well, that, maybe something from Shaggy. That's just the uh, that's just the name of this dog. He's black. His name's Shuck. That's black. Get shuck. over it. Yeah. Get. He's here. He's queer. <laughs> get used to it. Um. So Sue did. 1577 was the uh, specific year in that post from Sue. Um, there is a report. I, I can. I found the report that we're talking about here. It doesn't mention Black Shuck by name, but it does seem to fit the description. It doesn't have any of the one-eyed stuff or any of that. But on August 4th, 1577, as most of the village of Blythburg gathered at Holy Trinity Church for Sunday services, a huge storm came out of nowhere, and lightning repeatedly struck the uh, roof of the church and the spire of the church and ultimately caused the spire itself to fall through the church's roof and onto the congregation below. Mm, kind of like the omen. Yeah, very much like the omen. The <laughs> omen probably stole it from this actually. But after that, a huge shaggy black dog appeared, Aww. rushed at a few of the worshipers and then fled the church. But on its way out, it slashed at the door with its fiery paws and left three long black scorch marks on the doors of uh, Holy Trinity Church, which apparently are still there to this day. Well, that's awesome. Uh, they're called the Devil's Fingerprints. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you go to Blythburg today, uh, locals will show you the Devil's Fingerprints. Although, according to Atlas Obscura, they're more likely like intentionally created with a candelabra. Like it's three scorch marks mm -hmm. with candles. And uh, this is believed probably to have been protection against curses or evil spirits at some point well sean it can't be the de devil's fingerprints because he's just a good boy yeah well he's the best boy well i don't know if these these english uh, dogs get to be pretty universally associated with death and it's we'll, not their fault and we'll try to figure out why but the, the important thing is you know as you heard if you see or hear black shock your life very much may be in danger well, I try to see every dog I can, so I would probably be screwed in this situation. And who's a good boy? And who's a good boy? Now, later that same day in 1577, the same beast, or one just like it, also menaced worshippers at nearby St. Mary's Church in Bungay. And according to clergyman Abraham Fleming in that year's A Strange and Terrible Wonder. Mm. Strange, strange there, spelt with a U, and wonder, also spelt with a U. Strange. Uh, S-T-R-A-U-N-G-E. Oh. Strange. This black dog, or the devil in such a likeness, God he knoweth all who worketh all, running all along down the body of the church with great swiftness and incredible haste among the people in a visible form and shape passed between two persons as they were kneeling upon their knees and occupied in prayer, as it seemed, wrung the necks of them both at one instant clean backward in so much that even at a moment where they kneeled, they strangely died. 
It's not that that'll, strange. Yeah, that'll happen if you do the whole backward thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how the mechanics of this work. How did this dog wring these people's necks? I think they're just, I think the dog's getting a bad rap. I think the dog was just nearby at the time. This dog has just run at these people with such speed that their necks have been, their heads have been taken almost clean off. No, it wasn't a doggy's fault. Um, it is, well, I don't know if this dog was really there. I don't know, um, you know, obviously there's no way to, to find out whether these stories from hundreds of years ago are true. But it is worth noting, contemporary accounts from all around the region do back up the idea that there was a major electrical storm in that area on that day. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, the storm part of the story um, is probably true. Maybe there was a dog. I hope so. Well, uh, whether there was a dog that day or not, since then, Black Shuck has indeed become a part of the folklore of Norfolk and Suffolk and Essex nearby. Like those other ghostly dogs we mentioned, um, it's usually considered an omen of death by those who think they've seen it. Mm-hmm. I'll quote here from a 1901 travel book. This is like, you know, here's to here's the good road stands. Uh, this avoid is the can, dog. This is where you can get gas. These are the ghosts to avoid. <laughs> this was called Highways and Byways in East Anglia. And the book warns its reader, he takes the form of a huge black dog and prowls upon along dark lanes and lonesome field footpaths, where, although his howling makes the hearer's blood run cold, his footfalls make no sound. You may know him at once, should you see him, by his fiery eye. He has but one, and that, like the Cyclopses, is in the middle of his head. But such an encounter might bring you the worst of luck. It is even said that to meet him is to be warned that your death will occur before the end of the year. So, you will do well to shut your eyes if you hear him howling. Shut them even if you are uncertain whether it is the dog fiend or the voice of the wind you hear. Should you never set eyes on our Norfolk snarly vow... You may perhaps doubt his existence, and like other learned folks, tell us his story is nothing but the old Scandinavian myth of the Black Hound of Odin, brought to us by the Vikings who long ago settled down on the Norfolk coast. It is not clear uh, to me, Carrie, at what point between 1850, when Black Shuck first gets his name and is a two-eyed dog, and 1901, Black Shuck has lost one eye. And the other eye has navigated to the middle of his head. Mm-hmm. But I think we can agree he's scarier this way. Yeah, but I'm still going to pet him. You're still going to pet him I'm right in the middle of his, uh, his psycho- psycho I'm not going to touch his eye. That seems... I'll, I'll, I'll give him little squitches around. No, it's yeah. too sweet. I love little one-eyed dogs. They're sweet. Um, now, Carrie, what was all that Viking nonsense I was going on about? Well, I assume this might be an origin for these kinds of legends. Yeah, but what does Odin have to do with dogs? Uh, to answer that, let's look at our oldest ghost dog report yet. This is from the very famous Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, Carrie, and it was written around 1127. Mm, I'm sure that's not a, a dry bit of work to get through. <laughs> it was um, very fun finding this passage. Let no one be surprised at the truth of what we are about to relate. Well, this must be translated from Old English, right? Uh, Yes, it is. (laughs) For it was, in fact, there's several translations of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle Mm -hmm. around. Um, This is from one of them. For it was common knowledge throughout the whole country that immediately after Abbot Henry of Poitou's arrival at Peterborough Abbey, it was the Sunday when they sing Exerg Quare. Many men both saw and heard a great number of huntsmen hunting. 
The huntsmen were black, huge, and hideous, and rode on black horses and black he-goats, and the hounds were jet black with eyes like saucers and horrible. This was seen in the very deer park of the town of Peterborough, and in all the woods that stretch from the same town to Stamford. And in the nights, the monks heard them sounding and winding their horns. Reliable witnesses who kept watch in the night declared there may well have been as many as twenty or thirty of them winding their horns, as near as they could tell. This was seen and heard from the time of his arrival, all through Lent and right up to Easter. My God. So that is, I mean, 1127, that's technically a much older ghost dog report than our 1577, you know, lightning and then black shuck sighting. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think it's fair to call this a different phenomenon altogether. This isn't like, oh, I saw a ghost dog. This was, I saw some dogs in the company of like a whole bunch of guys. And I don't think they all seemed kind of off the books. And by the way, they're riding horses, but some of them are just riding big old goats. He goats, not she goats. No, no. And I guess you could tell that from the horns. Mm, Among other things. (laughs) Um, Now, Carrie, we've actually talked about the wild hunt before. Mm-hmm. The wild hunt or the wild host is a motif in Germanic folklore where basically Odin will, you know, go out with the bros. So Odin rides with a bunch of spectral warriors, you know, his Einherjar uh, from Valhalla or whatever, or hunting companions, whatever. The story changes a lot because the story has been told many, many times in many places. And Odin will uh, travel across the world or... Uh, through the skies and especially as we got into christian times seeing this was usually some kind of a very bad omen uh we sure would have blown your mind well for sure um they borrowed this as the plot of the witcher 3 wild hunt ah um but it also something we talked about in our dark origins of santa claus episode because as we said in that one jolly old sinterklaas and his flying reindeer might have started as a stand-in for Odin mm-hmm. and his flying eight-legged horse, Sleipnir. You remember Sleipnir. His mother was Loki. He's the best of all horses. <sighs> a lot going on there. Eight legs. Um, I think the too many legs are more upsetting to me than the one eye for the dog. And how Cyclopean do those, eye. How do those both compare to the fact that Loki gave birth to this horse? That's a whole different... Can of worms. Um, so in Christianized England, I don't think it'll surprise you. Um, the Odin part of this whole story fell off pretty quickly, even though the wild hunt part kind of stuck around as folk stories. Well, they kept undoing the hunt. What the? In real life. They, they you know, that was like a big thing for them to do. So, of course, they're going to have a lot of folklore about hunts and stuff. Yeah. And they have big hunt culture. And this is the idea of like the divine or the otherworldly or the ghostly walking Mm -hmm. on earth, right? Mm -hmm. But in Christianized English versions of the myth, uh, Odin would always be replaced by, you know, take your pick. Satan, King Herod, Jesus, King Gabriel, King Arthur, um, you know, whatever else. I can't really imagine Jesus leading a hunt. Listen. Uh, at the very least, a lot of heroes of Christianity were were uh, put in the wild hunt. And in those versions, it wasn't such a bad thing to see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but usually it's like, oh, it's King Herod. Oh, it's Satan. Yeah. Um, whatever it takes to make the narrative make the most sense at a given place and time. And usually having the wild hunt be an omen of bad shit. <laughs> um, anyway, 
given the common presence of big black hunting dogs as part of Odin's wild hunt, it is possible there's a shared lineage there. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so in Wales, the local version of the wild hunt was presided over by the king of Anun. Okay. The Welsh, like, kind of uh, underworld, but not hell, very much uh, heaven. It's like a, like a paradise and... Um, all of this stuff's really hard to pick away from the Christianization that happened later, but mm-hmm. Anun came to be like, it's heaven, basically. So it's, it's a Valhalla kind of thing. Yeah. Because that was meant to be a good place to go. Yeah, but it does seem like the Welsh were more about like good people going to this place rather than like people who died in, in combat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's hard to pick that out of the later Christianization as well. So anyway, the phrase the hounds of hell actually comes from the Kun Anun, the Hounds of Anun. Uh, Kun Anun. Yeah, and so those were the dogs that were always present on the Welsh version of these wild hunts. Mm-hmm. And, well, yeah, so the, the Is hounds... Is that where, like, Coon Hound comes from? No, Coon Hounds are hounds that hunt raccoons. Maybe. No, th- for sure. <laughs> I've read Where the Red Fern Grows. It's very sad. Okay, well, that makes one of us. Um... So yeah, the Christians had some misconceptions about this myth, obviously, because the they were more like hounds of heaven, you know, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would hunt down and kill wrongdoers when they went out on their rides with the king, and they also were psychopomps. They would guide the souls of the dead to Anun, that you know, kind of paradise of eternal youth and beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, if you saw one, it was very likely that it was because you were going to die soon. Or already dead and being escorted to the afterlife. Oh, yeah, exactly. Wait, <laughs> we're already going? Oh, hold on, I've got some things to take care of. Uh, now, Norfolk, where we had our story of Black Shuck, you'll notice is not in Wales. I believe you. It's on the opposite side of the island. I mean, it's directly across the island from it. But it is an island, and beliefs do spread and mutate. Sure. We all play that game of cultural telephone. (laughs) And uh, so it's maybe not surprising that scary black dog myths, whether they originated um, in Wales from some mutation of Viking myths or or whether they came from somewhere else, they do feature in the legends of basically every part of the British Isles uh, as well. And we're going to get into those localized legends, starting with Northern England, right after the break. Can I pet that dog? Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Can I pet that dog? Can I pet that dog? Uh, that's, we were talking about the Cyclops eye again in the break, and Carrie said, once again, 
get up at that dog. I don't care. Um, no, you don't care. Well, that's the last Cyclops I That doesn't come up again. I don't know when that was added to the Black that Chuck legend. That seems like someone was improvising there and just sort of threw that in for fun. Oh, that wasn't scary yet? Well, the one I saw had one eye. In the middle, all freak-like. Well, I saw one with no eyes. <laughs> um, as I said, there's different versions of this legend all over England. Um, and we're going to start up in northern England. We were sort of in the Midlands there. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with Wales and with Norfolk, uh, in Northern England, the spectral black dog is sometimes called, and this is going to ring another couple bells for you from Harry Potter, Carrie, the Padfoot. Oh, uh, Carrie, what does that what does Padfoot mean to you? Oh my God, am I going into Harry Potter lore here? Um, Padfoot is what Sirius Black nicknames himself in dog form because he can transform into a large black shaggy dog, which is often mistaken for a grim and a portent of death, but is really just serious black, also kind of a portent of death. Spoiler alert for this decades old thing now. But yeah, although <laughs> if, if you're not uh, familiar with Harry Potter, I should po- point out, while he may be a portent of death, he's definitely a guy, serious black. You're talking about a guy. Yes, but he, he does also... He's bad luck <laughs> in general. Well, he has bad luck. Certainly, yeah. I can confirm that. Um, he's a good guy. Yes, yes. Gary Oldman, not happy with his own performance in that film. I think he did fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> we have a lot of feelings, Sean. Let's, uh, and I, I need to share as many of them as I can I, before I go. I know. Uh, Carrie, let me tell you about the Padfoot. I'm taking this from, I love I love reading old books about ghosts mm-hmm. that just straight-facedly tell you the facts about a ghost. Oh, they exist, and you need to watch out. Let me tell you about these different types I've discovered. Yeah, now I have to go to special sections in the bookstore to find travel books about ghosts. Back in the day, they would just tell you, here are the highways, here are the byways, and here are the hauntings. Exactly right. I wish things were like the old days, Sean. And so this is from Notes on the Folklore of the Northern Counties of England and the Borders. Catchy title. By William Henderson, 1879. And remember, this is about the Padfoot. Mm-hmm. He's described as yep. about the size of a small donkey. <laughs> black, with shaggy hair and large eyes like saucers. And he follows people by night or waylays them in the road, which they have to pass. My friend, the Reverend J.C. Atkinson of Danby, speaks of the Padfoot as a precursor of death, as sometimes visible, sometimes invisible, but ever and anon padding lightly in the rear of people, then again before them, or at their side, and uttering a roar totally unlike the voice of any known animal. It was certainly safer to leave the creature alone, for a word or a blow gave it power over you. And a story is told of a man whose way, being obstructed again and again by the padfoot, kicked the thing. <gasps> no! And was forthwith dragged along through hedge and ditch to his home and left under his own window. Good for kicking a dog. Jeez. There's a lot of mysterious spirits, especially in that if you can track down, and it is uh, available on the internet, Notes on the Folklore of the Northern Counties of England and the Borders by William Henderson, um... There's a lot of mischievous spirits in there that he just will, again, straight-facedly go, yeah, and this one will turn into a, uh, a goat sometimes, and uh, and it'll just... <laughs> there was one that I forget what his name is. Um, 
but he turns into a like a beautiful horse, beautiful white horse, and then uh, you think it's your beautiful white horse, but after you get the bridle on it, it just disappears, and Boop. you're kind of frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you. It's like this is what they, this is what they do all day. Why? Um, so that's the Padfoot, and that's Sirius Black for you. Um, Northern England also has similar legends of a creature called the Barguest. Oh. And let me get this off my bar chest. Oh, jeez. Because it's weird. <laughs> um, there's a Dungeons and Dragons monster called a Barguest. Mm-hmm. And it's a fiend that looks like a wolf. And it can shapeshift, but it can only shapeshift into a goblin. Mm-hmm. And it does that so it can take control of goblin tribes and then secretly eat their souls. And that's its primary feeding strategy. <laughs> Seems like a long game to play. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, take that, Darwin. How, how does the Barguest evolve? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, now, the Barguest in England is totally different. Probably for the best. Although the shape-shifting element is sometimes there. Um, so, William Henderson, in that same book, that same, uh, let's get the title back, Notes on the Folklore of the Northern <laughs> Countries of England and the Borders, 1879. Um, Henderson says that the Padfoot and the Barguest stories are pretty similar. And so are local stories of the Clud. The Clud? K-L-U-D-D-E, as well as the Capplethwaite. Mm. Uh, but here is what he says about the Barguest specifically. The proverbial expression, to roar like a Barguest, <laughs> Duh. attests to the hold he has had on the popular mind. Of course, Carrie, you, you can't go anywhere without hearing someone say, he's roaring like a Barguest again. Mm-hmm. So that shows you how popular this uh, tale is. His vocation appears to have been that of a presage of death. And bearing that in mind, Sir Walter Scott's derivation of his name from the German Bargeist, spirit of the beer, mm-hmm. seems the most probable among the many suggested. That's not beer like the drink. That's beer like you would put a where you would put a corpse. Oh, B I E R. I see. That's also beer. Like, like I was wondering beer. if because guest and G E S T and and geist are related. So yeah, I was wondering if that meant ghost or spirit. Yeah, bar guest is yeah. It's always pronounced like a guest you would invite into your home. But most stabs at trying to figure out what the word means uh, go that ghost route. Yeah, mm-hmm. some kind of a spirit spirit of the beer. Um, but it might be spirit of the bear and maybe this thing was originally a bear and then it became a dog later on through retellings. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, but back to William Henderson, a bargeist spirit of the beer seems to be the most probable among the many suggested. A friend informs me that Glassensykes near Darlington is haunted by a barguest, which assumes (laughs) at will the form of a headless man who appears in flame, a headless lady, a white cat, rabbit or dog or a black dog. I don't know why. I feel this... like these are just things that they could be seeing. Yes, very well, except the headless man and the headless lady. What's the place? What's the town name? Uh, this is Glassensykes. It's near Darlington. Glassensykes. Yeah, these okay. are the, it's many of the most English words I've ever seen. Sure. Uh, there is a bar guest too in a most uncanny looking glen between <laughs> Darlington and Houghton near Throssel Thros- Nest. Oh, duh. And a circumstantial account has been supplied to me of one which haunts, or haunted, a piece of wasteland above a spring called the Oxwells, between Reghorn and Headingley Hill near Leeds. 
The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. I just feel like I'm describing places in the Shire. And I'm sorry for any English uh, folks who are listening. No, we have intercourse Pennsylvania. I mean, we're not much better. Yeah, I mean, this just stuff all, all sounds like it's from fairy tales. That's all. Sure. On the death of any person of local importance in the neighborhood, the creature would come forth. A large black dog with flaming eyes as big as saucers. Followed by all of the dogs of the place, howling and barking. <gasps> puppy parade. If anyone came in its way, you, so you don't want to interrupt the puppy parade. No. If anyone came in its way, the bar guest would strike out with its paw. Oh. And inflict on man or beast a wound which would never heal. You shouldn't get in front of the dog parade, so. My informant, a Yorkshire gentleman. Lately deceased, said he perfectly remembered the terror he experienced when a child at beholding this procession before the death of a certain Squire Wade of New Grange. Uh-huh. So he's got it on good authority that this type yeah, of thing... Yeah, the, the guy's dead, but he I swore he told me. I swear that he told me, and this was when another guy was dead, so you gotta believe me. I hope that when I die, there's a puppy parade. There will be. Thank you. There will be. I'm adding it to the will. That's why you keep... <laughs> That's why you keep leaving little bread, cra- bread trail crumbs of treats back to the house. Yeah, little mini milk bones. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, everyone thinks you're tr- trying to find your way, you know, back to the to the corner store, but no. Oh no, the milk bones ain't for me. Now at long last, Carrie, it's finally time to talk about that word from Harry Potter again, the old church grim. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Harry Potter was just the grim, but this comes from the idea of the church grim. Another, yet another, uh, type of black dog spirit. The church grim is usually a large black dog with red eyes. Sounds familiar so far. But it's usually seen on churches, and it's thought to be a guard of church yards and church properties. Mm -hmm. In the 19th century, uh, folklorists, including John Gregerson Campbell, the guy I read writing this, um, (laughs) believed it had once been tradition to bury a dog... Mm underneath the foundation stone of a new church whenever you dedicated it. And I, I assume this wouldn't be a naturally deceased dog. It would be kind of killed for the occasion. You'd bury it alive. Oh, Jesus. And this apparently stemmed back to an old belief that whoever was the first one buried in a new churchyard, it's like first in, last out. Uh-huh. If you're the first one buried, you're like the exit row on an airplane. You have so they, to... they forced the dog to be it? Well, you would have to guard the churchyard against the devil and uh, help guide all the souls that came after you uh, to the afterlife. But you're stuck. But you're stuck there. (gasps) No, I hate this. So I guess when they were dedicating churches, they started being like, Might as well be a dog. It's either that or grandpa, I guess. So, you know, I mean, what's grandpa going to do against the devil? This big dog is going to do a better job. And so one version... I don't know, have you seen Troll 2? Grandpa Seth goes ham. (laughs) Please don't see Trill 2. Please, no, please do. do. It's so funny. Please do. Uh, that was a silly reaction. <laughs> There's one version of the story where it was actually a guy's dog, and the dog was named Grim. Hmm. And he was like, oh, come on, Grim. And the dog came bounding across the river, and then they buried it alive. Um, but you gotta add that to the, the dog name list, I think. Grim? L- little Grim. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Church Grim for long. <laughs> Church uh, Grim. One word. So obviously, Carrie, this version of the ghost doggy is once again related to death. Hey, that's interesting. The cat 
stick with me on this. Oh boy, the cat in uh, Pet Cemetery isn't its name Church? Yes, it is. And it is a portent of death. So you, I wonder if that comes from Church Grim. Well, churchyards are cemeteries anyway. So I think mm-hmm. churches always have that association a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that's very interesting. If he yeah, was, if probably he was, has nothing to do with anything, but I thought I'd bring it up. If he was a big black dog, maybe even more. Spooky cat. Um, so we've described the church grim as guarding the churchyard. I mean, that's not necessarily a death thing. Although we, we talked about some kind of psychopomp behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, if you're not a like folklore nerd, uh, psychopomps are spirits or people or gods who bring spirits to the underworld mm-hmm. or the afterlife or whatever. You're, Escorts. You're Anubises. Anubi? You're Anubi. <laughs> uh, and more on Anubis later, by the way. Um, so, in part of his role, a church grim might, in the stillness of the night, when the whole village is sleeping, ring the church bell at midnight, the night before a death occurs. Now, how is it going to do that without any opposable thumbs, Sean? The animal doesn't even have thumbs, Fokker. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I like to picture him kind of just swinging, hanging Aww. from the bell, Quasimodo style. Um, but you wonder why he doesn't just howl. Yeah. he's a, we'll, we'll get to some dogs with deadly howls later on. Um, but also, priests apparently uh, delivering homilies at funerals would occasionally claim to have seen the Grim through a church tower window behind the congregation and predict by the direction he was looking whether the departed soul was headed for heaven or hell. Okay. I would imagine in a in a funeral service, you're probably it's probably invariably. You'd hope that he's he's fudging it. Oh, and look, the Grim is is looking the other way. Oh, Ma Tiernan is with the divine now. You know, is that kind of thing? Has to be an Irish priest. Uh, no comment. <laughs> It'll only become clear a couple of minutes from now, Carrie. But we've already talked about this next set of uh, alleged ghost dogs. The Phantom Hunting Dogs of Richard Cabell. Mm. Uh, Cabell was a rich a-hole, basically. He was, he's known to history as Dirty Dick. Oh. He was a pe- yeah. I thought we already had one of those as a president. Yeah, but this was way before. This is a rich guy who died July 5th, 1677. Mm. He was described... So he got... Gone too soon. He got there before uh, Tricky Dick did. Mm-hmm. He's described as a monstrously evil man. But he did love hunting, spent almost all his time hunting. Um, it was also rumored contemporaneously that he may have sold his soul to the devil. Yeah, as you do. I guess a common part of the Richard Cabell story was that he had murdered his wife. But uh, apparently she's mentioned in his will, so she probably did survive him. That's just something that got attached to this guy because he was really not very popular. Now, the night Richard Cabell was buried, a pack of phantom hounds was said to have come baying across the moor to howl mournfully at his tomb. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the ghosts of the hunting dogs he'd had in life, although they were all still alive, so I, I don't know. <laughs> but local legend had it that Cabell could be seen forever after that night, often on the anniversary of his death, leading the phantom pack in a howling, screaming hunt across the moors. Puppy parade. Another puppy parade, that's right. Another wild hunt, if you will. It's very similar to that story, actually. Mm-hmm. And some years later, villagers actually built another building around the Cabell tomb and put a heavy lid on top so that they could keep Richard and his ghostly dogs at bay. Well, what were they doing? How were they hurting anyone? I think they once again turned into an omen of death. All right. 
Now, I said these are story these are ghost dogs you've actually heard of before, Carrie. That's because this story is believed to be the starting point for The Hound of the Baskervilles, that famous novel starring Sherlock Holmes. That makes sense. And our old friend Arthur Conan Doyle from our Cottingsley Ferry episode. Mm, that old coot. Uh, wrote kind of hilariously in a letter about The Hound of the Baskervilles. Uh, my story was really based on nothing, save a remark of my friend Fletcher Robinson's that there was a legend about a dog on the moor connected with some old family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I could see it. So you just kind of like... I've been inspired by less. Yeah, exactly. And to me, there's no phosphorescent paint, you know, in the uh, Richard Cabell story. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that's where the, the germ of the idea came from. And And again, I do think that's another... You know, I think the people in that local neighborhood basically just went... Yeah, it's not Odin, it's not Satan, it's not King Herod. It's Dick. It's Dirty Dick. Dirty <laughs> Dick Cabell riding the, leading the wild hunt. Mm-hmm. That's not all, of course. There are more ghostly black dogs from all over England. We've given you the ones that there's maybe the most to say about. But localized black dog hauntings are reported at the eponymous Black Dog Hill and Black Dog Halt Rail Station in Wiltshire. Mm-hmm. That's two hauntings right there in Wiltshire. Mm-hmm. And in Roman ruins near Hertfordshire, and at Betchworth Castle in Surrey, and you get the idea. Basically, if it's an old pile of bricks and rocks, there are there's a dog there's there. a ghostly black dog that will cause your death. Aww. Now up in Scotland and over in Ireland, the Conceit play the role of scary black dog. That's C O I N S H I T H maybe E. These are shaggy black green dogs. The size of cows. <laughs> and a cousite is said to move silently. So kind of like the padfoot, right? Mm-hmm. But it will occasionally let out exactly three loud barks. Well, it's certainly not Poe, because he'll let out a bunch more than that. No, 20, 30, 40. If you hear, <laughs> if you hear the cousite begin to bark, <laughs> you must get out of earshot or cover your ears very well before the third bark for all who hear that bark, will be terrified to death. Spooky. It's like the main cause of death in Ireland. (laughs) So I love that. That has kind of a banshee flavor to it. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is the same thing. I don't think this is a black shuck or a... uh, That one is. The the conceit are, I think. Mm -hmm. But I don't think this is the same thing. I'm just mentioning it because it's interesting. Um, In witch burning times, and this is also Scotland... Belief in Scotland was apparently pretty widespread that witches doing their meetings at Black Sabbaths would be presided over by a large black dog. Aww. And his name was Muckle Black Tyke. You're going to have to write that one down for me. Muckle Black Tyke. Okay. M-U-C-K-L-E, the word black, and then the word tyke, like a little boy. Okay. Muckle Black Tyke. Okay. Who was also Satan in disguise? (laughs) You're the devil in disguise. I mean, I kind of love that. I've never thought of the devil as a dog kind of a guy. Devil dog. Devil dog. Hades uh, has Cerberus, the three-headed hound of hell. That's exactly right, Carrie. Um, I was a devil's definitely a dog guy. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna get to that. Hades, Hades is not the devil. No, but he's a very early version of what the devil eventually became. Yeah, but he's not like a bad guy. No, he's not an antagonist. Um, but you're right that this isn't England. We're not in England. 
black dogs in England aren't the only place that dogs are associated with death. And it's probably for the same reasons all over. Uh, you mentioned uh, Cerberus. Mm-hmm. There's also Garm, who is the guardian of the underworld in Norse mythology, and he's a giant black dog, not a wolf. He's he's there's there's this one poem in the um, poetic saga that's that's like just a list of all the best things, and it's like and uh, Sleipnir is the best horse, and Odin is the best god, and Garm is the best hound. Aww. well, didn't they reference that in Thor Ragnarok with Hela? They she had like a like a a skeleton of a hellhound or whatever. Uh, that was actually Fenrir, the wolf. That's oh. the wolf that brings about Ragnarok. That's another of Loki's children, by the way, but that's a Yikes. whole other story. Uh, he's got to keep that thing in his pants. Yeah. But Garm and Cerberus are both big. I mean, I, Garm's not specifically black, but he's a big dog. Mm-hmm. And um, the color black is associated with death across cultures. You know, you think of death, mourning shrouds, mourning garb, mourning paint. Mm-hmm. Has always always been black. Um, wild dogs and also sometimes wolves, if it's particularly lean times, often scavenge for their meals. Mm-hmm. That often means eating the dead, especially if you're a dog in medieval Europe. Oh yeah, there's a lot of plague people and classical. A lot of loose limbs. Yeah, if you're a dog in ancient Greece, you know there's a lot of corpses around, mm-hmm. a lot of people and animals dead around. Uh, plenty of food. And since jackals are even bigger on the scavenging than wild dogs or wolves are, that's certainly where Anubis, uh, I told you I'd be back to Anubis, that's where Anubis gets his big old ears and nose. Right, and jackals are also sort of legendarily known to be like eating corpses and lurking around cemeteries. Well, that's what I'm, but that's what I'm saying about wild dogs and, yeah. and wolves. I think uh, uh, all of these animals for, for those same reasons. But it could have just as easily been a vulture. Mm-hmm. But dogs are sweeter. Dogs are definitely sweeter. They have bigger ears, and they're better boys. <laughs> uh, but if you hear Poe start to bark tonight, do do not, do not hear that third bark. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth. Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Everyone, it is finally time. Kiss your sweethearts and slap baby New Year on the ass. It's our annual yearly predictions roundup. I really thought you were just going to go kiss your ass goodbye. (laughs) Well, we begin, as always, with the boss himself, not Bruce, Nostradamus. I'd really prefer to start the year off with Bruce. Can we start with (laughs) Bruce next year? As I always mention, his prophecies published in the 19th 1555 book Les Prophéties were not specifically dated and are pretty generic poems. Uh, Prophéties is divided into 10 sets of 100 quatrains with each of the four line verses supposedly alluding to events expected for every year for the next 2000 years. Mm. So what's the deal for 2024? 
Uh, but can you, do you have anything that he got right for last year? We're going to go into the last year at the end. Uh, for 2024, though, this is what we have. Red adversary will become pale with fear, putting the great ocean in dread. Okay, great. So Donald Trump will <laughs> lose and then throw himself into the sea. That's the orange adversary. Many believe this quatrain is referring to China's ongoing situation with Taiwan, possibly escalating badly. The next one, the dry earth will grow more parched and there will be great floods when it is seen. Related, very great famine through pestiferous wave. Well, okay. I, I could have predicted that one, but technically only after like the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> well, yeah, it sort of speaks for itself. There's climate change, you know, dry will get drier. There's going to be flooding. Uh yeah, I think I can confidently say shit will continue to get worse this year in that sense. Notable is the fact that just hours into 2024, there was a major event that could be linked to this prediction. There was a 7.5 magnitude earthquake that rocked Japan on New Year's Day, generating three foot tall tsunamis. Uh, you know, just remember, it mentions a wave. Did he? Okay. Yeah, the tsunamis. Yeah, I guess. So maybe the famine's, you know, waiting till later in the year. Okay, I was going to say, he didn't talk about an earthquake, but you're right, waves, that's fine. King of the Isles will be driven out by force. Oh, goodbye, Charles. Yes, the Isles, which many believe to be Great Britain here, just got a new king for the first time in decades. So there is currently a King of the Isles, so to speak, and maybe he will be removed from the throne against his will. In a different passage, also reportedly about King Charles, at least according to people's, you know, interpretations. Wish casting. Uh, Nostradamus said, soon afterward, a disastrous war, a new king shall be anointed who for a long time will appease the earth. And this new king is one who will have no mark of a king. Some feel this is a continuation of the previous King of Isles prediction, and according to Nostradamus commentator Mario Redding... God, if, if that's your job... Dream job title. I'm throwing that at the top of the list. Nightmare blunt rotation. <laughs> this means that Charles may abdicate due to persistent attacks on both himself and his second wife, and it might lead to Harry replacing him rather than William or any of his children, because Harry is technically a man with no mark of a king. He's not like next in line to the throne. Oh, I thought you meant because he was a ginger. I was like, that's a little harsh. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Redding expressed these beliefs in his analysis of the quatrains for the Daily Mail. Uh, our last one is through the death of a very old pontiff, a Roman of good age will be elected. Of him, it will be said that he weakens his sight, but long will he sit and inviting activity. Pontiff is a very specific, I mean, usually these things are so uh, jello-y. Yes. How many times has he predicted popes? Well, a pope existed at the time, right? So he was kind of like, yeah, there'll still be a pope. It obviously seems to reference the death of the current pope, uh, after which an old candidate from Rome itself will ascend to the papacy, and he'll be in the popeship for a long time. Uh-huh. So, that's where that is. Now, did Nostradamus get anything right for 2023, you asked Sean? 
Nothing that I can see that was super on the nose. Is anybody making any arguments online? There was a seven months great war mentioned, which unless it's referencing the Israel-Palestine conflict, which is still on- ongoing, it doesn't seem to have been related to any others I can think of. Um, he had predicted something would happen with people uh, traveling to Mars. Nothing happened there. Man did not, for the most part, eat his fellow man due to the high cost of wheat. That was another <laughs> prediction. Although, you know, uh, we heard a lot about the costs at the grocery store. Yeah, as far as I know, no cannibalism has broken out because of that. Uh, Nostradamus had also predicted that the dry earth will grow more parched and there will be great floods when the rainbow is seen. So it seems he's been at least correct about the earth continuing to get drier in certain places, I guess. Things are going to get a lot wetter before it gets drier. But let's move on. There are more predictions to be had, and we have to go to our next fave, the blind mystic Baba Vanga, the Nostradamus of the Balkans. The Asperomancer. Nope. Oh, no? Not yet. Oh, this is this lady's just blind and makes Blind mystic. That's, oh. that's enough. That's her niche. I'm here for the P predictions. <laughs> We're getting to that. There's no P. We're getting to those. I had to save the best for last, Sean. Despite Baba Vanga's death in 1996, she left the world with a variety of predictions through the year 5079 when she stated the world will end. So, solid end there, but, you know, at least we have some time. It's impossible not to think of good omens uh, with all of the, all of the, <laughs> yeah. all of the prophecy stuff, and it makes me smile. Uh, watch that show. It's great. For 2023, she predicted an increase in bioweapons, the Earth dealing with a terrible solar storm, and a change in the Earth's orbit. We did have some solar flares, and Vladimir Putin actually did claim in March of last year that Ukraine houses U.S.-supported biological weapons labs, which he said were poised to attack Russia. Well, he's the one guy, I believe, less than Nostradamus. Yeah, it's a claim many Russian scientists, among others, have disputed to be pure fiction and obviously false. But as far as I can tell, at least our Earth's orbit is still bang on normal. (laughs) Now, I'll preface these uh, 2024 predictions with the fact that you only ever really see reporting of Baba Vanga's supposed predictions in news outlets, usually places like the New York Post and Unilad. Not exactly hard-hitting journalism, uh, but the point is you never see the predictions like quoted, like with actual how they were written. Um, so a lot of this may just be some random New York Post reporter's interpretation. I don't really know. Apologies, but I only can report on the information I find. So but she might have a book out there or something, but I'm not. I'm not dedicated enough to Baba Vanga just yet. Well, if, if Baba Vanga's ghost is listening, you know, get at us. <laughs> Call us up. Help us out with these. According to the New York Post, Baba Vanga predicted a technological revolution in 2024 with AI continuing its march towards total takeover and the rise of quantum computing. Again, like, did she say this? No, there's no world in which she used the words quantum computing. Leading to major upheaval in the sectors of finance, healthcare, and cybersecurity. In a similar vein, or wire, as it were, haha, New York Post, Vanga predicted that cyber hackers would amplify threats to national security by targeting infrastructures like power grids and water treatment plants. It's it's one of the few outlets that even, a, <laughs> no matter how many puns, they can't make me like them anymore. Yeah. Vanga also predicted we will soon have cures for certain cancers as well as Alzheimer's disease. So there's that. And according to Unilad, Vanga has... Vanga, Vanga... 
the Venga bus is coming, everyone's jumping. Uh, she's uh, reportedly claimed that someone will attempt to kill the Russian president who is responsible for the launching of military operations that began the ongoing war in Ukraine. The predictor believed that the number of terrorist attacks would increase in Europe and that a big country is set to test out biological weapons in the new year. Vanga alleged that there is more to come due to geopolitical tensions, a shift in economic power from the West to the East, and escalating debt levels. And there's also just always the increasingly extreme weather events. Gotcha. And this is this is the Russian boogeyman? This is Baba Vangana Baba Yaga. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, my, 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 mistake, my mistake, my mistake. No John Wick here. But, you know, lots to look forward to. Now, lastly, Sean, you've been hyping it up. It wouldn't be a yearly predictions roundup without our favorite Asperomancer, the only Asperomancer you'd hope, Jemima Packington, known as Mystic Veg. Packington claims that she can peer into the future, peer, not pee, Sean, <laughs> by tossing a handful of asparagus spears in the air and interpreting how they land. So it has nothing to do with the smell of her pee. No, as we covered last week on the show, it's more like consulting the I Ching. <laughs> also like throwing bones and casting runes, but yes. yes. Last year, Packington gave the mirror these predictions. The tips, as she calls them, the, the little asparagus spears, uh, show that there will be another royal birth and King Charles's coronation will provide joyous moments and help unite the country during another turbulent year. Meanwhile, food... Wait, these are her predictions for this year? Last year. Oh. Meanwhile, food rationing will be considered in Britain and COVID variants will continue to spread. Also, ongoing strikes will, strikes will cause unrest between people who are struggling and those who are better off. Additional predictions included high-profile political figures being exposed as corrupt, unexpected celebrity deaths, and unexpected celebrity comings out. No, but she didn't say anyone specific. Okay, so she... So she essentially threw a bunch of vegetables in the air and then said, news will happen. And King Charles removing several more royal titles from members of the family. There wasn't any formal food rationing, but there were some shortages in Britain. Did the queen die in 2023? No, that was the end of 22, I believe. Okay, so she's just like, she already knows the king is about to be crowned. And yes. she's like, that will bring lots of peace and happiness. Yeah, Charles's coronation was fine i guess it was a fun time for people maybe yeah i guess it seemed to be received with kind of a wet fart over there <laughs> there were some unexpected celebrity deaths but there are every year sadly harry's uh hrh title his royal highness was removed from the palace website but him and megan are still officially retaining the titles her royal highness his royal highness so i don't think she meant the website but yeah, COVID's still spreading. So enough of that. Let's see what the Aspera guys say for 2024, shall we? Don't you think most people could have told you that about 2023 <laughs> in 2020? Maybe. <laughs> Here's the entire list of the Asperomancer, a.k.a. Mystic Veg's predictions, courtesy of the UK's Metro. Quote, regime change will take place throughout the world on an unprecedented scale, often where least expected. People are increasingly tired of the way their leaders are treating them. There will be separations and divorces amongst members of the royal family. Do not be surprised to hear news from Montecito. That's where um, Harry and Meghan are. Oh, California. So is she saying, where is she? Is she here? No, she's in England. The Asperomancer. Yeah. She's a Daily Mail. Jemima Packington, she's from England. Jemima Sean. Packington is just a Daily Mail reader. 
Yes. The culture of celebrity will be on the wane. Ordinary people will want to concentrate on their day-to-day lives uh, while on their day-to-day battles with rising costs of living and will lose interest in the antics of the so-called privileged few. Coming right after her dig at Harry and Meghan, I feel like she's not a fan. The 2024 Olympic Games will not be a resounding success for Team GB, which I think is Great Britain. So they're not going to win a lot, I guess. Uh, I just read that as the Ozempic Games. That would be something. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's getting in on those. The events in the Middle East will reach a breaking point. World opinion will change yet again. I mean, these published in late December, so that had already started to happen. Right. And world opinion... Maybe she's talking about it more on the Palestinian side. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I just feel like world opinion has been pretty split on that for a long time. Yeah, we're not touching that, folks. Um, Extremist groups within the UK will lose support. No more holding up traffic or super gluing to infrastructure. Sounds like uh, the people that were um, upset about people protesting on the James O'Brien show that you were listening to. Uh, Yeah, recently listeners have been uh, listening to... British political call-in <laughs> chat because it stresses me out less than American politics, which are, yeah. you know, uh, real to me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, British are too. Well, yeah, it's just... But I, everyone wears wigs, and, and so it's different. <laughs> they don't all wear wigs. Um, but there's a layer of insulation between me and them yes. because they're stupid politicians. Well, that's why they them. enjoy gabbing about our politicians and Donald Trump and everything on these shows is because it's a reality show. But you know? the Asperamancer does sound like the people who call into James O'Brien's show to defend Brexit and stuff. Yes. The England FA will appoint more female referees to officiate at all-male team matches. Okay. There will be a shakeup within the UK education system. The onus of many responsibilities will be forced back onto parents and not teachers. Deaths among world leaders will occur, and the U.S. will see their first female president. So this one's kind of, she really shoehorned that in, just snuck that in there. You know, that's a big prediction. That's that's an actual specific prediction. The U.S. will have its first female president Mm -hmm. this year. Yes. She doesn't say whether she thinks that's Kamala or whether she thinks someone's going to get voted in. It's Nikki Haley or it's it's, uh, Joe Biden wins the election and then dies immediately. I'm just saying. Also, no, if it was Nikki Haley, she wouldn't be inaugurated till next year. It just says we'll see. So maybe that means votes. We're, I don't yeah, know. You're right. We're seeing Nikki We're seeing Haley right in now. The future. We're seeing her in New Hampshire. We're seeing her get ready to lose in South Carolina. Mental health and well-being, speaking of politics, <laughs> will continue to be an important factor worldwide. This will no longer carry the stigma of old. People will recognize that our next generation needs our help and support. That's good. More public figures will be added as having abused the system and profiting from illegal actions. That's every year, though. Yeah. That'll always happen. Yeah. I, last year, I was I was so uh, taken with her method. I was so taken with the P of it all. It, there's no P. I think that's what you're upset about. Maybe if there was P, it would be a little more specific. You know, that's a good question. She should think about it for next year. <laughs> See what we can figure out from these owners. Yes. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> The UK will see a return to active politics from a previous leader. Climate change will become a victim of compassion overload. 
What does that mean? I don't. It sounds like some more typical, like right wing, cranky stuff. Cranky call-in show callers. A raft of very well-paid TV personalities will, will lose their jobs. So-called influencers will lose their sway as people realize it's the real world that they live in that matters. This is the second time she's mentioned this, so oh, the, I feel the, like this is a real. We're zeroing in here. The asparagus just have the opinions of anyone's grandmother (laughs) so i guess we'll just have to see how the spears fall leave britney alone (laughs) that's it for this episode of ain't it scary with sean and carrie like us on facebook and follow us on twitter and instagram at ain't it scary and check out our website at ain't you can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain't it scary you can call us and leave a message at our google voice number 203-666-5529 and please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on apple podcasts and spotify We'll be forever grateful. We certainly will. And special thanks to those of you already joining us on our top couple of Patreon tiers. Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Kate Pope, Haley, Ryan, Enrique, Ira, Pete, Anna, Delaney, and our newest top tier patron now, Sue. Uh, Sue T uh, gave us our topic for this episode. Thank you so much, Sue. And welcome to the club. Welcome to the uh, inner circle. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McKay. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. No, not three times! You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.